that's just something that you learn being in this business that nothing is really as simple as it seems. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and activism and athletes and media and all different kinds of things. Uh, as we approach, I think Tom, my co-host and I, Tom uh, Richardson, are approaching episode number 200, as a matter of fact. This will fall somewhere like 197, I think, Tom, but welcome back. We, we, we need an official, thank you, we, we need an official uh, tally, Tom Cerny. Do you know what number this is? 197? 197. This will be 197. Not that Joe was checking, but uh, yeah. that's good. Are you, Joe, are you counting all those little mini-sodes that you did yeah, at the Super Bowl? Yeah, they all count. Bowl? Everything counts. So. Okay. <laughs> you counted our first one where you and I talked about ourselves? Yeah. Well, how about practice? the one? Well, there was also the one that we did originally where we didn't record it. So that was a problem, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was our best one yet. It was. Um, all right. Let's get started. So, okay. With, with a few shows to go to 200, we have to start thinking about the big celebration. Tom, what does Columbia plan to fet us when we get to 200? Any, any big A huge big social distance party. Yeah, a mask. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, just tell us when to show up and we'll bring our microphones. All right. All right, Let's Joe. Going, so yeah, we got, look, once again in this business of sports, there's so much going on right now as we start this incredibly interesting month of October, as we have had more sports equinoxes and, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm glad to be doing uh, this show today because it's on such an important issue that you and I have talked about before, care about a lot, and I'm really happy to be spending some time with some people who uh, I think will be a real treat for our guests. So why don't you get it going? Yeah, one of the things um, with activism and athletes and teams and brands uh, that keeps coming up is action versus talk. And um, the two guests we have on today are certainly more about action, not just now, but going forward and having people kind of put their actions where their mouths are. And, and that in the world we're in right now, which is we're taping this at the beginning of October, you know, not too far from an election, all the other things that people are well aware of going on that aren't going to go away if you listen to this in a year, by the way. So, so the, the amount of athletes voice and team participation in social causes is going to continue to grow and be more and more important. We've talked about it going from, if you're a brand or a team talking about, you know, maybe a ninth on the list of discussion before March, these type of things come up. Now it's the first or the second thing, and it's going to continue to be valuable, but you also need people to keep the pedal on the metal. And that's what we want to talk about. So our guests today are Laura Dixon, who her day job is the head of external relations for the San Antonio Spurs, but we promise not to talk about the San Antonio Spurs very much. And Issa Godosa, who has been at the Carolina Panthers and the NFL and is now the president of House of Athlete. But we're going to talk about the Pro Sports Assembly, which is a group that they put together with some pretty big names to hold people accountable and drive interest in cause, social engagement, um, all the things that are really important away from the field. So welcome, guys, to the Cusp Show. Laura, let's start with you. Can you kind of... Um, and we have a lot of students that listen to this and people in transition. Um, for both of you, we would love you to talk a little bit about your careers and your, your career path. But can you start us off talking about Pro Sports Assembly and how it came about? Sure, absolutely. So it's funny that uh, Tom brought up the Equinox because we actually introduced the Pro Sports Assembly on 
September 10th, which was the first day of the sports equinox. And um, that, that day, um, you know, was really supposed to be somewhat of a soft launch and introduction and it just has mushroomed and taken off, which is super exciting. But I like to, you know, remind everybody like we're three weeks in and we are building this thing as, as we fly. Um, and to take you back, um, the, the concept, you know, is, is not new, right? I mean, like creating a member-led association for people is not a new idea or a new concept. I mean, bankers, insurance agents, car dealers, everybody kind of has their association. Um, but, but people in pro sports, in particular, we're, we're focused right now on teams, leagues, and unions. So, you know, the other 95% of the people that aren't on the field of play or the court, the ice, and, um, you know, those people like us have not had a association or this formal network um, in, in our career. And we were all very good about networking and connecting and making friends and, and making these kind of informal relationships work and, and build our businesses through those. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, a real kind of foundational thought or purpose around this. But but Essay and I both, I think I can speak for both of us in this regard, like we, we are purposeful and intentional and, you know, need and want and thrive on um, you know, doing things that are about more so our community rather than us as individuals. Um, and, and so, you know, creating this formal network, would well, that be great? But what's the purpose, you know? Like the, the, the mission can be to connect people, but the purpose um, and, and where we started was really focused on the advancement of women in professional sports, but the evolution of our work led us to this place where we really need to focus on diverse and inclusive leadership overall. And when we started looking at some of the data, it just proved that that was where, where we needed to focus. And, um, uh, so here's here's a good Kevin Bacon's you know six degrees or Joe Favreto five degrees of separation story. Um, <laughs> the the um, see the first person that I talked to about this idea was one of our owners at the Spurs. So there you go, we got one Spurs mentioned. Um, she hired Marshall at AT and T. Went to work at AT and T. So then when Scent went to work for the Mavericks and we were just thinking about how to bring this together, we went and visited with Scent and told her about this. And this was in November of 2018. Then uh, our one of our lawyers, uh, for, the lawyer for our basketball team at the Spurs and Essay were really good friends and he connected us and that's how we got in cahoots. And then we met with Michelle Roberts in May of 2019, and that's kind of where the building blocks started. So it was sent, essay, Michelle, and from there rolled, um, rolled out. And we had great big plans for South by Southwest. Essay uh, was going to be on the main stage, the open <laughs> South by Sports. She was interviewing. She was moderating a conversation with Michelle and Lynn Perna and Andy Lothnane, who's the um, new, new the president for the new Austin FC Major League Soccer Club, and like everything else that you know just got blown up. Um, and we regrouped, and we've been working virtually ever since, and have you know recruited, like you said, this, this pretty awesome uh, governing and advisory board, and are now recruiting founding members and. 
um, I, I'm going to stop talking and let S.A. tell you know, her version of the story and give some more highlights. Yeah. And, and S.A., you can take us through your career path, which is really amazing, too. But, you know, it's amazing that Laura went through that whole list, Tom, and everyone she mentioned was a woman, which is so, so important to this process. Yeah. yeah I think, well, Brandon, um, Brandon, let me, Brandon is not a woman. Okay. Yes. <laughs> The Spurs lawyer is a, is a, a woman, uh, you know, a woman advocate uh, or a advocate for women. And uh, that's important because I think that's also a key differentiator for the assembly is, um, you know, it's not just for women. Uh, it's for men and women to come together to create equity in sports across the board. Um, and that's something that we pride ourselves on is bringing men to the table as well as women and all different races and backgrounds. So, um, yeah, my, my career path has been uh, pretty unconventional. So I uh, played volleyball at Hampton University in Virginia, um, then took a year off before going to law school at Florida A&M University. So really proud to be a HBCU graduate um, times two. Mm -hmm. um, while at uh, FAMU Law, um, had the amazing opportunity to work on the Trayvon Martin case, and that really gave me um, my break. Uh, my break into activism. My parents were activists, and so um, that that time in my life really kind of has formed who I am, even to this day. Um, then I went to work with the Minnesota Viking, uh, Minnesota Vikings as a legal intern. Um, there, I got to really learn the NFL, and it, then it became my dream to be the next Kevin Warren uh, of the NFL. Um, and after law school, didn't have a job. So I actually took an internship working with NFL Films, which was the best internship I've ever had. Um, I was, yes, I was in South Jersey. Wow. I lived in Collingswood. Mm -hmm. um, although North Jersey people say South Jersey's not Jersey, it's Philly. I lived um, in both, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was such an amazing experience. I mean, you really get the best of both worlds. You get to work in sports for the NFL, but then you also get to work for a production company, a media company. Um, and I really learned, I spent countless hours on the product, on the producer's couch, just asking them about how they put these stories together. Um, ended up going to my first Pro Bowl, which is actually where I met um, Brandon Marshall, who now um, I work with. So it's funny how, you know, you never know how relationships uh, will, you know, um, take different forms throughout your career. And this is such a relationship business. And he met me when I was an intern, begging him to do a free interview in Hawaii. So you can imagine how successful I was. Um, but uh, yeah, so then after the NFL Films uh, deal, they loved me, wanted to see me grow. So actually they helped me get a job at the NFL League Office, working in the legal department there, doing general commercial transactions, supporting pretty much every department at the League Office. There, I actually started the first Black ERG, um, the Black Engagement Network, uh, which was groundbreaking. Uh, no, no league had ever done that before. And we actually started our Black ERG the same time that the NBA started theirs, which is Dream in Color. So we worked pretty closely together and we're excited to bring this to, um, to sports and to uh, you know, the two biggest leagues um, in pro sports. Uh, did four years there, then went to the Carolina Panthers as associate counsel. Um, that was such a great experience. Again, it was my dream to work for a team. I love being closer to the game, uh, working closely with the players on a lot of social justice initiatives and, uh, you know, working with Julius Peppers on, you know, a voting campaign. They, they had never done any type of political uh, or social justice campaign in, in bowl. We got them to do 
um, you know, a campaign in bold before a game about the importance of your vote. Um, so a lot of things that I'm proud of that I was able to do there, as well as starting another Black ERG uh, stride at the Carolina Panthers. And then recently, I uh, took a, a big jump and joined Brandon um, at House of Athlete. Um, it's a lifestyle wellness brand. We have a fitness facility. We have a nutritional supplements. We have a production company where we have a podcast, I Am Athlete. And then we also have an apparel line uh, designed by Mishi Marshall, which is his wife, who's a fashion designer. Um, and we work with pros. You know, our whole thing is bringing the athlete experience to the everyday athlete, um, that elite athlete experience. And so we're excited to really bring the elite athlete lifestyle to the general population. Um, and everything that we do is from the voice of the athlete, which is super important. Hey, hey, Tom and Joe, we'd be remiss not to mention to SA that we have a Hampton University student who just joined our program. She happens awesome. to be in my class. She just started that. I don't believe, Tom, maybe you know, we've had any other Hampton grads in the program. It's the first that I know of. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Funny. Wow, that's yeah, I'll great. Tell you well, about you, got, you gotta take, yeah, I would love to, I would yeah. love to connect with her. But take care. Of I will. I'll, I'll. I'll make sure to tell her to to you know check you out. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing. That's an amazing story. I also have to ask you. I say, did you work with Doug Paoletti at the NFL? Yeah, Payo. That's my guy. Payo. So I worked at the NFL in the '90s, and pa I remember when Payo was hired under then Council of NFL Properties, Gary Gertzok, who's now yeah. And wow. Doug and Doug was the young lawyer, probably the position. You might have had. Yeah, because he, so he, I think he went there a year, a year out of law school, and uh, he actually always took. I was actually, I worked. I'm in pretty sure that's where, that's where he came directly out of law school, and yeah. uh, all I know is he was very young, as we all were back then, uh, when he started. And uh, I keep in touch with a lot of old NFL friends, and we always um, smile when we think about how Doug has has been there now close to 30 years, which is incredible. Yeah, he, and that's why I think, uh, I actually worked in, directly for Peo. I worked in his in his group, uh, and he actually always nice. took a liking to me because you know I think he related to me. I, I was a year out of a law school when I came, um, so he was very helpful and advocated for me um, tremendously in trying to grow my career, but yeah, they that whole group is great. I always say once an NFLer, always an NFLer, so I'm sure you agree. So, so Laura, like, what was your pitch when you got through that Joe Fabrito five degree connection thing? When you got to meet SSA, like, what was your pitch to her to to get her to come into the to the mix on this? <laughs> well, I think it had been uh, warmed up quite a bit, so I, I'm not so sure that it was that cold of a pitch. But um, you know, there, there's the the things that I laid out to you guys first, like, hey, this doesn't exist in our industry. Like, we don't have this. So this is really basic, not, you know, that, I don't know, novel. But then there's like purpose, right? We, we as, as females, as a non-white man in this industry, understand that we face, you know, some different challenges, obstacles along the way that um, with, with um, allies and you know in the work, um, they you know they don't have to be as difficult or as hard to overcome, and um, you know the allies could be other you know other women, they could be other men, they could you know they can be anyone that you work with that sees your skill and your talent and your leadership potential and is willing to you know, help you advance. 
So, um, you know, I, I think that we all have had people in our lives and in our careers like that. So, you know, it's kind of an easy way to say, hey, you, you can have access to a lot of people going through a common experience and you, you can help them. And you bring, you know, you bring a perspective to the table that we need. And I think you'll see that when you look at the advisory board that we have and the governing board that we have. I mean, we are cross sport, cross sector. The geography is, you know, all over the map, uh, you know, gender pretty well balanced. And, and so that is, that's also very unique. Um, and we did that by design. I mean, we're very intentional in creating, you know, the organization, the way that we want to see people um, leading inside of our organizations moving forward. So yeah, I want, I, I want to give credit. I want to give credit to Laura because I'm probably an easy sell. Anytime you say equity, diversity, and sports, you probably <laughs> can get SA to sign up. Um, but I loved her intentionality. I mean, she had already done so much legwork in building out a whole deck about who we are, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, as well as already starting to file for the 501c3. Um, a lot of people, again, they talk about it, but they don't, they won't, they, they don't want to do the hard work. And a lot of it is very unsexy, unseen, you know, hard work about bringing this to life. And I was, I was just so impressed with her intentionality and her passion. And I do everything uh, with passion as well. And so we, you know, we instantly hit it off uh, from that. But, you know, anything that is uh, seeking to make sports more equitable, um, I'm, a, I'm an easy sell. And, and I'll tell you this is a great example of why you need a team because when I first met SA, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina for the, I was there for the, the NBA all-star game. And I had this folder with me and I'm like, you know, here's the, here's what I've put together. Here's a draft of the application, you know, but at, like, gosh, I keep, you know, having these conversations with people and I'm like, they, they keep thinking about like this person in college athletics or this person at the Olympics. And I'm like, it's pro sports. Like that is, that's one of our differentiators. Like we are, this is for pro sports. Like, you know, athletic directors have NACTA and all of their staff has NACTA. The Olympic folks have the IOC and, you know, all of that world. And, but we, we need our own thing. And I'm like, so, you know, here's the name, here's the filing application, the sports assembly. And she's like, well, why don't you call it pro sports assembly? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh genius right here. Right. This moment is a She's an idea person. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, so question. Um, some of the things that I pulled out of the press release, opportunity, equality, leadership, action. Um, the last one I think is the hardest one. How do you hold people? How will you? And there was a, I think it was 20, 2030 that you guys are trying to move towards. How do you get a group to take action on these things going forward and how do you hold them accountable? Yeah, well, we don't have the, the answer, um, but we have intention around working towards that. And so we are establishing more short-term short goals that will you know, lead us there. I mean, one was getting the organization off the ground, two was getting the members on board who buy into support and will, you know, be active in the space. And, and that's a big part of it. I think the, the research and data collection is the next thing, right? Because it's not, you know, we, we all, you know, know or we all know people if, if we ourselves don't believe that this is kind of smart and the right thing to do for business. I mean, there have been plenty of studies um, you know, by 
McKinsey and others on why diversity helps organizations win. But in professional sports, that study hasn't been done. So this is just one example of the path that we're pursuing with Dr. Shropshire is conducting research to put together the case for why diverse and inclusive leadership in professional sports is the smart thing to do as well. Like we, you know, we, and especially people that join and participate in this organization believe that it's the right thing to do and for whatever reason have conviction around that. But, you know, back that up a little bit. What's, what's the business case for it? If, if you need to justify it for whatever reason, then we want to give you the, the reason and the justification for that. Um, and we understand there may be some risk involved in that too, right? There may be some parts of the research that show like, no, it's really not gonna make a difference one way or the other. But that doesn't mean it's still not the right thing to do. Um, and so there's research, um, there are tools that we're putting together. We have a partnership with a female quotient where we, we are providing any organization that joins the assembly with a equity calculator and that equity calculator, their HR department can enter in their, um, you know, their data set on their employees. We'll get back a evaluation on where they're on track, where they're off track, where they're excelling um, as it relates to pay, opportunity, promotion. Um, and, and so those, those tools in themselves will help organizations learn where they are and how they are um, living by the values that they, they, I mean, almost every organization in professional sports right now is pretty vocal about stating their value of diversity and inclusion and the importance of that to their organization. Now, whether that's player driven or employee driven, you know, it really, um, it, it doesn't matter, it's being driven and, and they're making those commitments publicly. So we are working to give them the tools to help get there. How that looks in 2030, Joe, I mean, um, yeah, it's a, it's a long way to go, but, but we're, we're making these, you know, these steps to, to help, help folks get there. Can you guys, um, Laura and S.A., give us your opinion and assessment of these voting initiatives that have become so prominent in sports over the last few months. It's really good to see, but I just want to get you, since you guys follow this stuff so closely, like how effective they are. So, and just part two of that are related is, so didn't we hear in a recent discussion that it was determined or revealed that a very small percentage of NBA players had voted in 2016? Is yeah, that accurate? It's funny, I saw, and I, I actually asked someone at the PA this week if they have updated numbers, because it would be good to know. But going into the bubble, actually, it was Doc Rivers that said something about in 2016, or no, it was in 2018, less than 20% of NBA players were registered to vote. So, yeah. um, which so to I, me was pretty shocking. And that's one reason why uh, I was glad to see some of these initiatives. But I'd love to hear your guys' opinions on that. I thought, you know, I don't know if you should be that shocked because they're so young. I mean, they may yeah. not have had an opportunity to even vote in a, well, you know, a major election um, at that age. Our, our league in particular is so young. Um, and, you know, it, it takes time. And I wonder what that, that data point would look like compared to the general population, especially in a state like Texas, where our numbers are abysmal, um, yeah. you know voter from voter registration to voter turnout um it's it's pretty sad so um, yeah, i think, I think that, um sorry go ahead no no go ahead 
I think, uh, you know, one, obviously age plays a factor. I think another thing to think about is a lot of these guys are very transient. So when you think about pro athletes, they live somewhere, they work somewhere else, they get traded here, but they still have a house in Florida. So it's actually very hard for them to keep up with, you know, from a residency, a residency standpoint, they don't have normal lives. Like most of them have multiple properties. I know for myself, just working in sports, I've lived in like eight different states. And so voting is always a thing for me because I'm like, okay, I still have a Florida license, but then I, you know, I'm living here. Um, no, so I think also point. just lo lo logistically, um, you know, when you live in multiple states, it, it, it becomes very difficult. And then also athletes often have, uh, have not been invited to participate in, in things like voting and the conversations around that. They're so insulated. So, so much happens on the college campus. Most people become informed when they go to college. Um, they become informed on the on the 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 political process, you know, from a cultural standpoint, and they become active uh, with the government. But athletes aren't aren't doing what normal students are doing. Like they literally have tunnel vision on sports, and so this is really the first time where we're talking to athletes and, and involving them in the process. I think it's never too late to be involved in the process. Like uh, like Laura said you know, America just has a bad record on voting, right? Like most countries, it's a holiday. Most countries, it's, you know, it could be required to vote. And that's just not the country we live in. So when you already have that, and then you think about the lifestyle that athletes live from a transient standpoint, um, from just being involved in their community, oftentimes they might be from a city and that's where their heart is, but they, they've been playing in Cleveland for 10 years, but they're from Sacramento and their heart is in Sacramento. That's where they, they pay the most attention to. But so I think it's just a combination of things, but I think it's great. I think the biggest thing is not telling people who to vote for, but telling people to vote Correct. and telling people mm -hmm. to educate themselves. And so I think the NFL, the NBA um, have done a really good job of just starting the conversation. Because if I see 20 ads about voting, at minimum, I'm just going to Google like who's running, you know, at minimum, I'm just going to look into it a little bit more. Um, because people that I care about, that I follow, are talking about it. Everyone doesn't follow CNN. Everyone doesn't watch, you know, CNN. So yeah. when you start talking about it on ESPN, when you start talking about it during the game, you're tapping into a group of people that maybe wouldn't have voted or even cared. So I think it's it's just positive to start the conversation. And I also want to be very cognizant of you shouldn't have to be an expert on on the political process to tell people to vote because. Yeah. Joe Schmo in the middle of nowhere that didn't go to college has every right to vote just as you do, even if you don't, you don't, you don't know. So I think it's just about telling people to educate themselves as much as possible. But sometimes we want athletes to go, well, you don't even know and you didn't vote. So why are you telling other people to vote? Well, he's voting this year. Is it too late? Like, he, is he not a citizen? Like, does he not pay taxes? So I think I'm really protective of, of players when it comes to that. Yeah, and you know what I think is also unique in 2020 is that we have a census going on at the same time. So when you talk about representation and why it's important and how that impacts your community and the dollars that you know are allocated um, from the federal government based on you being counted, and that doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. You know, like you don't have to be a citizen of the United States to be counted in the census. You do have to vote, but the these two things coming together at the same time um, has has made 2020, I think, just ripe for a lot of action around it. And, and I don't remember, I guess the last time it would have been 2000 when you would have had a, the census and a presidential election mm -hmm. at the same time. I, I, I can't. 
tell you what yeah. sports teams were doing then. Did all these voting programs emanating from the league have um, specific activations or activation instructions given to the teams, you guys? Or is it just truly like league mandated and, and kind of league driven from a communication standpoint? No, I think, uh, I mean, I obviously can't speak for all the leagues or all the teams, but I think a lot of it was team driven. Um, and then, you know, the league will support it. Um, you know, you never know when, when you're, you know, dealing with a team league relationship, if it's league driven or team driven, but uh, oftentimes it's sparked at a team catches on as a best practice. And then, you know, is is um, shared. Yeah, this definitely came from the players. I mean, you know, leagues tend to want to stay away from anything that has to do with politics, but I think they responded to the players uh, this time. And the players said, this is important. And if we want to see change in our country, then a lot of that has to do with the people running our country. Um, I know when I was with the Panthers, we did a voting campaign in 2018. And it was really Julius Pepper saying, I think it's important to vote. And I think we need to tell our, educate our community on how to vote and making your vote count and your voice is, you know, uh, your vote is your voice. And so we did that campaign before it was even a league, a league thing. But again, it always comes from what the players care about and what the players want to do. And my job was empowering them. Like, if you think voting is important, then you should hold the Panthers accountable for giving you the platform to, to speak to fans about it because it is important. So. And I, I would add, I mean, I think that's the players do have a strong voice, probably the most powerful voice in the in this whole dynamic, but the, the, the staff that work for the teams also can do that. And that goes back to what the assembly is all about, creating this community so that, you know, you and I and others that are inside of these organizations can lean on each other and, you know, learn from each other um, and, and hold, you know, hold our industry accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, off of that, uh, one thing, uh, Laura, I'd like you to talk about if it's okay is culture. Mm -hmm. uh, you come and you work at a, an organization at the Spurs that the culture comes from the top and whether it's led by ownership or whether it's led by Greg Popovich, um, that culture kind of permeates out to everybody who's ever been at the Spurs and goes on to other places. Uh, and Essa, you could talk about this maybe a little bit from the Panthers too, but how important today versus other years is the culture of an organization and, and how that reflects the people who are involved? I think that the, um, you know, the culture is its people, right? Um, and the, so the, the people who are leading the people have a tremendous weight of responsibility. Um, and, you know, our, our CEO is incredible. He's um, in his first year. What a hell of a first year, though. Can you imagine? Um, I mean, geez. Luckily for us, he's been part of the organization for, you know, 25 years, and he and Pop are super tight. Um, but I think that, you know, that, that, that leadership, as you say, from the top um, is what sets the tone and what guides the culture through difficult times or challenging times and even you know the right way to manage the super successful times whatever right means to you mm -hmm. um you know we all certainly have our own ideas about that um but but we have you know we have a lot of um challenging and difficult conversations every season this one just with everyone working from home and being so isolated makes it even more challenging so i think regardless of 
what what's going on in our you know of our in our business and in our communities being isolated from your teammates makes it even you know even more difficult and more challenging when you're so used to you know being able to high five people as you walk by them in the hallway or hug them you know when when you're celebrating something it's just been a, a remarkably challenging year yeah. uh, but but we're all, we all are very excited about what is coming and no, I guess knowing and trusting that going through this exercise is going to lead to something, you know, much better. Um, and pro sports assembly is going to be a big part of that too. So, yeah, um, yeah. we, um, you know, we've had an interesting conversation um, about, you know, why, why bringing people together and why like challenging each other's ideas is really important. And uh, I think that that's also something that, you know, the, the people that are part of the assembly will, will do. And, and at the, the heart of it is this idea of civil discourse, which, you know, is, seems to be a lost art um, these days. And um, we, you know, we know we're going to have different ideas and different opinions. And I mean, Essay and I could tell you the number of different ideas and opinions that we've had just in getting to this point around just this organization. But the, the willingness to sit down, the willingness to respect, you know, the other person or the other party and explore those ideas and opinions and figure out, you know what, like, you know what, like 80% of this stuff, we may just disagree on like maybe, maybe 85, maybe more. But if we can get to an agreement on like 10%, 15, 20 of things that we really need to invest in and work on and commit to, then, you know, like together, like if we can amass a real force behind that 10, 15, 20%, then we can make some significant progress. And then year over year, like that's going to change and that's going to evolve and it's only going to help us you know, advance, um, advance our industry, um, you know, for the good long-term. Do you guys see that chart that got published the other day, which showed the political contributions of the ownership of pro sports, the owners of pro sports? It leans a little okay. bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, so the question is not about that necessarily, but would, if free agents, for example, looking at teams, they, or new, new uh, uh, teams they may go to, would they, would they actually think about that cultural aspect that you just discussed, like the type of leadership, not, and not just political, but just kind of the attitudes of the team? Because they, they talk to each other and they know what it's like, you know, for example, uh, it's a very different environment, let's say the New York Knicks versus the San Antonio Spurs or whatever, not, again, not, yeah. not to do with politics, just kind of environment, but is that a factor, I say, like in the, for the, for the uh, athletes? That's a great question. I definitely think that um, every league is different. The, the NBA players have much more <laughs> agency um, than NFL guys. Um, I think especially if you look at the last few free agencies, um, you know, we're, we're starting to see players pretty much decide where they want to play and, you know, them forcing their ways in and out of organizations. Um, that is not as common or possible in, uh, in the NFL. But I think that, you know, players are starting to ask more questions and they are starting to hold the NFL accountable. I mean, let's be honest. I think when you are a billionaire, uh, the, the truth is that you have the privilege of doing both. You have the privilege of possibly playing, 
you know, golf with, with Trump, but also donating to uh, the Negro College Fund, you know? And so you look at someone like Robert Kraft, I think he's an interesting person because he does so much for the community, but he also has strong Republican ties. Um, and I think that just comes with, you know, the privilege of being wealthy. And I think it's something to acknowledge. That was something that, you know, I struggled with when I was a young lawyer at the NFL and it was during, you know, the Colin Kaepernick time and, uh, you know, a lot of political and civil unrest around police shootings of unarmed black men. And you look at, you know, who the, who the owners are and, you know, the, the hard answer is that it isn't black and white. It's very complex. And the more money you make, yeah. the more complex you get to be. And you can technically vote Republican, but you can have a million charities that are helping, you know, kind of combat some of maybe Republican initiatives that, that hurt those same communities. And I think that, you know, the difference is that uh, people of color don't necessarily have the privilege to do both. And, you know, women don't always have the privilege to do both and uh, impoverished people don't always have the privilege of doing both. But frankly, when you're a billionaire, you can do both. And I think that's something that, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow, but that is the position a lot of team owners hold is that they don't necessarily see it as, uh, you know, either or, you know, they're like, look, I vote for this guy because he helps with my taxes, but I also do all of these things because I care about the community. I care about, you know, uh, HBCUs. I care about, you know, ending hunger, right? And so it, it's a complex issue. And I think a lot of people want it to be black and white. And frankly, I've learned when you make that much money, nothing is simple. <laughs> and, and these people aren't simple. All of the NFL owners didn't agree on everything. Just because they came together for a vote doesn't mean they all thought the exact same thing. And I'm sure it's the same way in the NBA. They all don't think the exact same way, but they may come together to make a collective decision. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just something that you learn being in this business that nothing is really as simple as it seems. I think that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the, one of the goals of this organization would be to hear from di different voices in different places and bring them together because we constantly talk, Tom, in, in whether in class or on the podcast about the value of listening and how listening solves a lot of things. And you, when you're looking at something and that person doesn't look or have the same beliefs or feelings as you, and, but you're working for a common goal, it helps a lot. So I, I think this, you know, yeah. as an organization, bringing together divergent people to talk and realize what the issues are and then solve problems is going to be tremendously important. Yeah, uh, Jeff. That's a, I'm sorry, did not. Okay. I, this morning, actually, I was on the phone with one of our advisory board members. You guys probably know Lynn Perna. If you haven't mm -hmm. had him on, you now need to. Um, but he, we were talking about, you know, the future of the assembly and where we're going. And he's like, you know, I imagine one day we're going to have a, you know, a, a C4 that's part of the organization. So we can advocate for the industry at the federal level and at the state level. And, you know, we can move the interests of the, you know, the employees and, and the people that work in pro sports along as a collective. And, you know, that, that's a, just a great example of, you know, where the, the vision for the organization is, is taking us. Cool. Before we get to uh, our last two questions, Tom, anything else uh, you want to throw to our esteemed guests? Yeah, guys, how can, um, how can industry people get involved, either as members or if you're looking for more help in any way? Good uh, two, two, two thoughts. One is there's just a lot of people, I mean, Joe and I are lucky to be in this New York network, which is pretty vast. And 
uh, and pretty amazing. Um, and, and Tom and the rest of Columbia too, because we're in New York City, at least most of the time we're in New York City, not lately. Um, but it is a great uh, sports business capital city, as you guys know. Um, but I often encourage young people to especially look at organizations that are not necessarily in New York that they just see and hear about locally, but something like this. So how can people check you out and potentially join or get involved in any capacity? Yep. Uh, well, they can easily follow and join our group on LinkedIn, so they can, you know, get engagement there um, and connect there. And the group, like every day, looking at the number, the growth is pretty exciting. Um, the other thing, uh, if they work at a team league or union, they can join and now become a founding member, which then, you know, makes them eligible for all sorts of future leadership roles and opportunities and help. Mm -hmm help shape the organization. Students, uh, we, we don't yet have the student membership option, but that's coming soon. Um, mm -hmm. You know, opportunities for corporate partners, uh, for organizations as a whole, as we talked about already. And then uh, affiliate memberships are another thing that we're exploring and how to, you know, how to make that work. The thing that's most important though, we want to create, you know, we've created this kind of inner sanctum and safe space and we want to, you know, preserve and protect that. Um, so we will invite, you know, new members and new partners in um, as, as we move along. Um, but right now, I think those are probably the two, um, I'm looking at SA, the two simplest ways to, to get engaged. Yeah. I think Laura, that, how, strict, how strict is it? Could I just ask a quick follow-up yes. SA? How strict is the definition of league team and, and um, union? Professional sports team, professional sports league, or union. Even even for lesser leagues, or you know, secondary yeah. or tertiary leagues, yeah, okay. Cornhole. But Cornhole. it has to structurally be a, uh, one of those three entities. It couldn't be someone from working at a, a sports marketing agency or a ESPN or something like that, correct? Not yet, you know, there are- For now, there for are, now, yeah. Yeah, for now. There, the, you know, we have so many ways already to convene with that massive audience, like, you know, Sports Business Journal does all of their things in different mm -hmm. universities. Um, so this is, you know, uh, this is a differentiator for us and, yeah. and okay. complementary to, mm -hmm. uh, to those other organizations, not competitive. Cool. Yeah, I think, I think that's something that sets us apart. Um, you know, as you probably know, people in professional sports uh, it can be um, somewhat, uh, you know, scary to kind of let people in because it's, it is like, you know, we are under a huge micro <laughs> microscope. And I think when you have people like the NBA and the NFL, they don't necessarily speak freely when they go to different conferences um, a lot of the times because everything that the leagues do and say is, is scrutinized. And so I think how can we provide this safe space where a team can admit in a safe space, we're not where we want to be from an equity standpoint, from a diversity standpoint, and how can we get better at doing that? They're probably not going to do that when someone from ESPN is in the room, right? Because that's a storyline. But how can we create an environment where the Spurs can talk to the Mavericks about, hey, what are you guys doing over there that's working? Okay, well, this is what we're doing. And how can we share best practices? And, um, but also hold each other accountable. And that's another thing is that we do wanna be an accountability agent um, to, to the leagues. And I think it helps if it's just leagues, unions and teams, because then maybe everyone will feel a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, kind of letting down, uh, you know, 
letting down their guard a little bit and saying, look, everybody has work to do. That shouldn't be a secret. But I think because it's so scrutinized, um, we wanted to create a safe space for, for everybody to want to do better and have a safe space to learn how to do better. Cool. So we have our last two questions before we let you guys go. And so when we usually have multiple guests, we split them up so you both don't have the answer to the same question. So um, Laura, how do you stay up to date and constant with everything that you need to do with your job and now with Pro Sports Assembly? And essay, we have a lot of people who listen to this who are either transitioning to a new job, looking for a new opportunity, getting out of school. Uh, what advice do you give to people um, looking to do that? Because, you know, I, I think you probably have a, a tremendous amount of interest and advice for sure. So, yeah. uh, so Laura, why don't you go first? How do you stay constant with stuff going on? I watch the I Am Athlete podcast. <laughs> there we go. That was a good uh, answer. Yeah. And, and what other podcast do you listen to? Which, which other one? The Cuts. Cuts. <laughs> good. Okay. This answer is going really well so far. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so I, I, every morning I have right. my morning list uh, when, you know, uh, there's not other people moving around and emailing and calling and such. So I listen to Up First every morning. That just mm -hmm. kind of lets me know what's going on across the world. Um, the the um, Sports Business Journal uh, Daily Buzz. Is that what the Daily morning. Buzz? Morning buzz, yeah, the morning buzz, um, and always a good dose of uh, Texas politics, one you know version or the other um, of, of that podcast, and every newsletter, you know, the Sportico, and uh, which I guess John Wall Street, Sportico, um, front office sports, um, uh, you know, the the regulars, so that keeps me up on on the industry. But cool. I wish I could answer Essay's question too, because- um, Well, you can, actually. You can, you can, yeah. you can. You know, like sometimes, you, uh, yeah. so I had, I had a, a conversation this morning with a young woman who finished her MBA at UT and her professor is a really good friend of mine, another person that you should have on this podcast, Kurt Goldsberry, um, who is, uh, you know, uh, an awesome uh, professor, author, and uh, researcher, changed the, the game of basketball for sure, but, um, she graduated in May and had, you know, all these different opportunities lined up. And, you know, of course, the, the team space, no, you know, no one's really hiring and all the hot leads that she had have, have gone, gone away, but she got an offer this morning and she was just ecstatic. And it's actually the, the dream job, you know, like she was so put out by the, the horrible experience that she's had, you know, over the last several months, um, that she was, you know, willing to just kind of, you know, compromise and take a job. And, and she, you know, she was going to have to do that. She was ready and excited to just get a job. But then yesterday she, I got a call from a coach who introduced her to somebody else and she got an offer and it was just amazing. So sometimes you can get lucky, right? And those things can happen. But I think a lot of times people are, you know, ready to make a change. Like you said, Joe, they may not, maybe they're not, you know, moving along or advancing in their careers and they feel stuck. And um, I mean, look, we started the assembly and found the capacity to do it. And I think that's a good example. If, you know, if you have a passion for something and somebody else isn't doing it or isn't doing it the way that you're doing it, then just make it work, turn it into, you know, your business or your side hustle, and maybe it will turn into the full-time thing. Um, 
I think we're we're going to see a lot of really cool things that come out of this um, environment, cool, you know, innovations and and other new businesses that we never imagined. So uh, that's what I would say. Essay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this industry is tough and. Uh, I did not have the red carpet rolled out to me. I didn't come from Columbia, where people are, you know. You did it out. I went to Hamilton. I went to Florida. So there you go. Yeah, and so I think, uh, you know, being an HBCU graduate, you know, when you have to explain where your school is, and oh, okay, is that the, like, you know, that's an uphill battle because, um, you know, Thomas, you know. A lot of people at the NFL are from, you know, these are from Harvard and Yale, and especially from a lawyer standpoint, a lot of them are from those top schools. And, you know, um, I didn't come from one of the, you know, top schools, uh, quote unquote, but um, I knew I had a, a, a interesting perspective. And so one, I think it's being able to sell yourself. Like I sold cars for a year and I can sell myself and my experience and my perspective um, like no other. And I think I always sold being different, you know, and the power of having a different perspective in the room. Um, I'm an athlete, I'm a jock. I can talk to, uh, you know, uh, a football player just as well as I can talk to, you know, the commissioner and they both love me, right? And so I think that that's something that I've always sold. So I think one, what is your personal brand and why should someone hire you? If you don't have that down, it's gonna be really hard for you to, to make it because everybody wants to work in sports. The person, the top person at Harvard is willing to come make $40,000 a year just to work at the NFL. That's who you're competing with. And so how are you gonna set yourself apart um, from that person um, pivoting? So I got to the league office because that was my dream. And then when I got to the league office, I was like, dang, I got here in record time. What do I wanna do? I wanna go to the team. Another thing is telling everybody under the sun what you want to do, because you never know who you're talking to. A lot of people, they keep their, um, they keep like what they want to do to themselves. And it's like, you might be talking to someone that knows somebody that knows somebody, because these jobs don't get posted, especially the, the legal jobs. Um, they literally email each other, all the team lawyers email each other and say, hey, I have a number two position opening up. Do you guys know somebody? Because I don't want to talk to strangers. That's literally how it happens. And if you're not on those 32 other lawyers radar, your name is not going to come up. And so for the first year that I was looking, every time I talked to somebody, they were like, dang, I wish you would have told me. I got like three emails three months ago. I didn't know you were willing to go to Seattle. I didn't know you were willing to go to this place. So telling people what you want to do um, is, is crucial because it's such a relationship business. And all of these jobs are filled with a phone call. And it's them calling their friends about who they should hire, who they know because sports is so incestuous. And so if you're not on the right people's radar, then uh, it's gonna be really hard to get a job off the street. Not impossible, but very hard. And that's how I got the Panthers job because I met you know, the GC one time, told him that I wanted to go to a team. And then when he had his opening, everybody that he reached out to was like, essay, you gotta hire essay, you know? And so that's obviously also just having a good reputation in the business. Yep. Um, and my relationship with Brandon, I mean, I met him at Pro Bowl, kept in touch with him, had him speak on a few panels at the NFL and at the Panthers. Um, I always wanted to help athletes achieve their dreams off the field and be a trusted counsel for them because they don't have a lot of trusted people around them. And they certainly don't have a lot of people that look like them um, that have been at 345 Park. They don't have that. And so being able to be that person that can look at a contract or vet somebody for them is, uh, is something that I've always wanted to do. 
And so just building those relationships. But I think pivoting in your career, it takes professionalism, um, but it also takes relationships. And you can be the smartest person in the room, but do people want to work with you? Do they like you? Because there's a lot of smart people that don't get far because nobody is willing to vouch for them. If I call someone and I'm like, hey, Ashley just you know, applied, what do you think about her? And they're like, I mean, you've said enough right <laughs> so you, you know you you want your professors to be like yes i promise you you'll like her i promise you you'll love her so it starts with your professors with you know with uh with your coworkers. you never know who's getting a phone call about you um so you have to always try to do your best to put your best foot forward because all of these conversations are happening your name is in rooms that your feet haven't entered yet and that is the, the truest thing about sports that I've learned in my, my short but uh, exciting career. And I think people knowing who I am, what I stand for, but also what my dreams and aspirations are, um, that's how I got all of my opportunities. Cool. Joe, so I think yesterday just moved into like the greatest hits of that we have of that answer. You know, yeah. we've been doing this for five years. That was, that was outstanding. <laughs> that was really good. I did a thing on LinkedIn called free career advice where I transcribed like the best lines uttered by our guests. And I'm about, I'm just started working on part three, which I, I haven't done one in a while. And awesome. you're gonna be my lead quote. So I'll, uh, I'll let you know when awesome. that happens. That was, yeah. that was really good. And, and Laura too, the point about how you're staying current uh, is good. And we, we try to convey to everybody, the, the people that we work with and teach, um, the, the importance of really having a good broad perspective on things. So when you go into these conversations or interviews, to Essay's point, you, you kind of have that courage and that uh, confidence to present yourself well and intelligently and kind of have the right product market fit or person market fit you know, for, for what you're trying to get. Cool. So thank you. Yeah. yeah thank you. Well, I think we saved the best for last, Tom, for sure. So. Um, <laughs> But Essa and Laura, we really want to thank you. You know, we can't wait to see where this goes. Um, you know, we are obviously advocates and resources, and you have so many good people who are involved with this already. Um, you know, we're looking forward to following it. And, and, you know, hopefully everyone got a little bit out of this who are listening to yet another edition of The Cusp Show. This was you know, one of the better ones we've had in quite a while. So thanks for joining us for this hour. Thank, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being here. Appreciate it, guys. It was really wonderful. And good luck with the growth of the organization. Thank you. Cool. So once again, uh, this has been the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. For Tom Richardson, I'm Joe Favorito. We'll see you down the road. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.